Well, we turn in Holy Scripture this morning to the book of the Psalms, and I'll read with you the 118th Psalm. I'm going to assume that that's probably the English Standard Version, and I'm reading from the New International Version, but they're not that different. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph upon my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The word of our God. Let's pray. Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Beloved in uh, Christ, uh, in 1530, uh, Martin Luther uh, spent 165 days hiding in uh, the Coburg Castle, which is in the Bavarian region of uh, Germany. Uh, There were some powerful uh, people who wanted to uh, arrest him uh, and imprison him. And so uh, for nearly six months, he was in that castle. Uh, There wasn't much for him to do while he was in hiding um, but to read his Bible. 
he spent time translating um, the Bible. Uh, he meditated on the Word of God, and as he meditated, he wrote down his thoughts. Uh, during that time, he also wrote a number of letters, and one of the letters he wrote was to his patron. Um, you are all, uh, if you're members here, you're patrons of your pastor. Uh, that is, you financially uh, support him with your gifts. Uh, Martin Luther didn't have a congregation, but um, like many uh, ministers of his day, like many monks, he had a patron. He had a wealthy man who uh, supported him financially so that he could carry out uh, the work of ministry. Uh, in this letter, as he wrote to his patron, he said very honestly to his patron, I, I recognize that I have uh, no money uh, to give you, and even if I had a little bit of money to give, it wouldn't mean much to someone as wealthy as you. He said, but what, I, what treasure I do have, I, I turn to. And he was referring to the scriptures. And he says, I, I turn to the wealth of scripture. And I turned, he said, to my beloved psalm. And he put down on paper his thoughts, his meditations on his beloved psalm. And he gave those to his patron as a gift. Uh, Luther's beloved psalm was the 118th psalm. Uh, later in that letter he wrote, this is my own Beloved psalm. Although the entire Psalter and all of Holy Scripture is dear to me as my only comfort and source of life, I fell in love with this psalm especially. He went on to write, but lest anyone, knowing that this psalm belongs to the whole world, raise his eyebrow at my claim that this psalm is mine. May he be assured that no one is being robbed. After all, Christ is mine, and yet he belongs to all believers. That was Luther's rationale for calling Psalm 118 his very own beloved psalm. If you can say Christ is mine, even though he belongs to all believers, you can pick a psalm and you say this one's mine even though the Psalter belongs to the whole world. Well, it's no surprise that Luther laid claim to Psalm 118 as his own beloved psalm. The story that is told in this psalm has parallels in Luther's own life, especially and particularly as he was in hiding in the Coburg Castle, surrounded by his enemies. Psalm 118 is an intensely personal psalm. And in this psalm, the psalmist repeatedly lays claim uh, to the Lord as his very own Lord. The Lord is on my side, is my helper. He is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Uh, psalm 118 contains a very personal story that is yet told publicly in order that others might give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. At the same time as we shall see this morning, it's also a prophetic story. It is the story of Jesus Christ. It is the story of one man more than any other person's story. 
that demonstrates the Lord's unending love for you and for me and for others. And so this morning, as I proclaim God's word, we're going to see that we're called to worship the Lord for his unending love. And we're called this morning by a personal story. And we're called at the same time by a prophetic story. As Psalm 118 begins and ends with a call to worship. It's a tradition that we have in our Christian church. It's a tradition that goes back thousands of years for a long time ago already. God's people would have been called into worship. And especially in these Psalms 113 through 118, the Hallel or the Hallelujah Psalms, the Praise the Lord Psalms, uh, we often find calls uh, to worship. And so Psalm 118 begins, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And then it ends, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. We're called to worship the Lord for his unending love. But what is going on in this psalm and this call to worship is a little different from what went on this morning in our call to worship. When you're called to worship, uh, from Sunday to Sunday, you're already inside this building and you're already seated in your chairs. That's not the, the scene in the 118th Psalm. In that Psalm, everyone is standing outside of the temple gates and everyone's anxiously waiting for the gates to open that they might enter in uh, to the courts of the Lord. And as everyone is standing outside the gates, there's a man standing outside the gates who suddenly lifts up his voice and says to everyone who's gathered at the gates, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for steadfast love endures forever. And then he addresses specific people in the crowd. And you'll notice that in the beginning there of Psalm 118. He calls for the house of Israel to praise the Lord for his steadfast love. And he calls for the house of, of Aaron to do that. He calls for the priests to praise the Lord for his steadfast love. And then he calls out to the Gentiles, to those who fear the Lord, and tells them uh, to say, let his, uh, his steadfast love endures forever. And while they're all waiting for the gates to open, he tells them his story. It's a personal story, as I said. And he tells them his story as the incentive, the extra incentive to go inside those gates and to praise the Lord. Because his story proves the goodness of the Lord and his story proves the unending character of the Lord's love. And he tells a story in the verses 5 through 18 of this psalm, and it's a rescue story. He tells of how the Lord heard his prayer for help, and how the Lord in his steadfast love allowed him to defeat his enemies by helping him. In your name I cut them off, in your name I cut them off, in your name I cut them off. And as I, as I listened to him tell his story, and you listened as we read it this morning. Uh, one of the first things that struck me about his story is that it serves as a reminder that the children of God are not spared uh, experiences of suffering in this world. 
We're not spared from experiences that would lead us to feel distressed. There was a verse in particular that caught my attention as I was reading through the story, and it was the 13th verse. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. Maybe you've had that experience, that experience of being pushed hard. Maybe it was evil that was pushing you hard. Maybe it was a person who was pushing you hard. Maybe it was your circumstances that were pushing you hard and they were pushing you to the point of falling. Falling into temptation. Falling into despair. Maybe even falling into death. These things are part of our stories. In that sense, there's nothing particularly unique about the story that this psalmist tells us. Oh, it's unique in its details, but it's not unique in its broad outlines. When Luther finished writing his letter to his patron, before he signed his name, he wrote these words, from out of the desert. From out of the desert. Like the psalmist, like Luther, we sometimes find ourselves between the proverbial rock and hard place. We find ourselves in the desert, thirsty, crying out to God for help because we are so distressed. But that's not the only thing that struck me about the psalmist's story as I listened to him. What also struck me is that he lays personal claim upon the Lord. The Lord is personal for him and the Lord is present for him. Verse 6, the Lord is on my side. And then again in verse 7, the Lord is on my side, is my helper. And then in verse 13, as he's talking about being pushed so hard that he is falling, he says, but the Lord helped me. And then he goes to those words in the 15th verse. Or the 14th verse, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. It's very personal, isn't it? The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He has become my salvation. We sometimes have some questions about, you know, talking a lot about myself and saying a lot of I and singing a lot of I and me and my. We shouldn't have those questions. The Lord ought to be personal to you and to me. We ought to be able to say with the psalmist, he's my helper, he's my strength, he's my song, he's my salvation. What's striking about those words in verse 14 of this psalm is that they're not original words whatsoever. They're borrowed from Exodus chapter 15 and the Song of Moses and the people of Israel after God has delivered them at the Red Sea. I will sing to the Lord, begins that song, for He has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider. He is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. 
See, the beauty of other people's songs is that we can find ourselves in their songs. There is a timeless element to the songs of God's people. And that's not surprising because the Lord's love is timeless. The circumstances vary. The details of the story vary. But the Lord doesn't vary. And His love for His people is unending. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And His steadfast love endures forever. And so we borrow from the stories of God's people. And we find in other people's stories, echoes of our own stories, stories of being pushed hard to the point of following and of falling and how the Lord has helped us. There's very few original songs out there. That's true in the world in general, but that's, that's true in the church as well. And by the way, there's very few original sermons as well. We all borrow from one another. We're not to plagiarize. We're not to steal word for word a whole sermon. I mean, if we are, then we should just stand up and say, I'm reading someone else's sermon uh, this morning. So just so you know, this is mine. I, I wrote it. But here's what's so important. We borrow, yet without robbing anyone. Because the Lord is mine just as much as he is theirs. And the Lord is yours just as much as he is the psalmist's, so that you can say in your own story, in your own song, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. The Lord is my salvation. And as we listen to each other's songs, as we listen to each other's stories, we're called to give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And there's no, there's no story, no personal story, that gets, frankly, you out of bed on a Sunday morning and into this place of worship. There's no personal story that gets you here like the story of Jesus. And that story is here in Psalm 118. It is here in prophetic form. And it's a prophetic story that demonstrates like no other story the goodness of the Lord and the enduring quality and character of His love for you and for me. And so we're not only called to worship this morning by a personal story, but by a prophetic story. You know, those who study the 118th Psalm, those who meditate on it, often um, spend a, a little bit of time asking the question, who wrote this one? If you look in your Bible, you won't find any title above Psalm 118, no indication of who the author of this particular psalm is. And so, as commentators are wont to do, who is he? And then they write for a few pages about who he might be, and then they say at the end, but we can't be sure. And they sell those books, and people like me buy them. <laughs> who is he? We don't know. But generally, everyone agrees, at least on this part of the answer, that he's a king. It's the king who is speaking, the king who has returned from the battlefield. 
where in the face of almost certain death, surrounded by enemies, the Lord came to his aid, and with the help of the Lord, he cut off his enemies. And that victory led to that that glad song in the tents of the righteous. That song they sang before they returned home to Jerusalem and to that place of worship. They said, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And now they have returned. The king has returned to the city and he calls for his people to worship. And he demands that the gates of righteousness be opened so that he and all who are righteous can enter through those gates and give thanks to the Lord. And yet we have no idea who this king is. Oh, it could be David, but it could be Solomon, and it could be some other righteous, believing king of Israel. And the fact that the psalm is anonymous gives it that timeless quality that I mentioned earlier. And this means that not only do we find ourselves in the story, but we can and we must find Jesus in the story. And we must find Jesus Because the New Testament tells us over and over and over, this is Jesus' story. This personal rescue story is prophetic of Christ. There is no psalm quoted or alluded to more often in the New Testament than the 118th psalm. Consider verse 26 of this psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Does that have to do with Jesus? We go to the Gospels. We go to that week before Jesus dies. He enters into the city of Jerusalem riding upon a donkey and the followers of Jesus sing Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of God. Yes, these are the very words that were sung over Jesus as he entered Holy Week. The week of his intense passion and suffering and death. And in that same week, he told parables. And in one of the parables, he quotes from verses 22 and 23 of the 118th Psalm. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous In our eyes, Jesus is the stone. The builders are the religious leaders of his day. The men who rejected Jesus so that he was crucified upon a cross. And there he goes into the grave. And on the third day, God raises him from the dead. And this is the cornerstone. This is the foundation of the church as we know it. Paul says that in Ephesians 2.20. As he's talking about how the Jews and the Gentiles have come together in this one person, Jesus. And they become part of this one building. Which has as its foundations the the apostles and the prophets of, of the New Testament. With Jesus being the cornerstone and And Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 7. He calls Jesus the living stone as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen and precious in the sight of God. 
If Luther can lay claim to Psalm 118 as his very own beloved psalm, then surely Christ has all the more reason to lay claim to this psalm as his beloved psalm. You know, 20 years after Luther left the Coburg Castle, his personal physician returned uh, to the castle and entered into his room. And when he entered into Luther's room, he discovered that the walls of Luther's room were covered in Scripture verses. Now, Luther not only put his pen to paper, but he put his uh, pen to the wall, and he wrote all sorts of verses. And the one verse on the wall that he chose from the 118th Psalm is this verse, the 27th verse, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Uh, Why did Luther find so much hope and comfort in these words that he would even write them upon his bedroom wall that they might be regularly before his eyes? Uh, Because they find their truth in Jesus. You know, the last psalm that Jesus sung before he died was Psalm 118. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so. And after they had sung a hymn, which is actually a reference to Psalm 118, they went out. Psalms 113 through 118 were sung in order during the Passover celebration. And the very last psalm to end Passover was Psalm 118. And you know that as they went out from that place where they had celebrated, they went into the darkest night of Jesus' life. Jesus went out from that place knowing that the enemies were coming to surround him like bees, that evil would push him hard even to the point of falling. And yet before he went into his dark night, he sang, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can mere mortals do to me? He sang, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. And knowing that he would actually die, he sang, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. And the hope of the Lord Jesus did not disappoint him. Yes, he died, but the Lord, his Father, did not give him over to death. On the third day, he raised Christ from the dead, and so on. On every Sunday, as we remember the risen Christ, we we sing with the saints of old, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We rejoice, and we're glad in each other's shared joy that comes from the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His resurrection demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is good and that His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, I know. I know how hard it is sometimes to say those words. I know we we have doubts at moments about the goodness of the Lord 
about the love of the Lord. And it may be a goodness for someone else, and it may be a love for someone else, but it's a goodness that has passed me by, and it's a love that has passed me by. And then we look at the cross of our Lord Jesus, and we look at the empty tomb of our Lord Jesus, and then we hear the voice of the risen Jesus, because he's the one who stands at the gates of heaven And he stood there again this morning and he stands there every Sunday morning and he calls out to us, not just to the the house of Israel and the house of Aaron, but he calls out to us Gentiles, those who fear the Lord, and he says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Yes, the Father's love is unending for all who put their hope and their trust in Jesus It could be that right now you find yourself in the desert. It could be that you are in that difficult place where there's a rock over here and there's a hard place over here. And if you know Jesus, and even if you don't know Jesus, you heard last week the call to come to him the weary and to the heavy laden. And Jesus says, come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. You may find yourself on the battlefield. You may find yourself entering into your own dark night, and it is a profoundly distressing place for you and me to be. And where do we find comfort? We find it where Martin found comfort. We find our comfort in the pages of Holy Scripture. There is our wealth. There is our treasure because there is our Lord Jesus Christ. And let then the pages of Holy Scripture be the wealth which you treasure. Take from these pages and write down your beloved verses. Hold them before your eyes. Write them in your prayer journal if you want. Write them on your walls if you want. Some of you do that. You put scripture verses on the walls of your home. I'd be careful here with the kids because I know some of you have been told you're not allowed to write on your walls. But I would suggest to you that if you grabbed a crayon and wrote a verse or two from Psalm 118, not even your mom could get mad at you. As you told her, I'm just holding before my eyes this verse from my beloved Psalm. You know what I'm saying. Write down your beloved Psalm, your beloved verse, your favorite verse. Write it it on your heart. I'll give you a couple of verses if you don't have any. You know, sometimes I, when I visit with people, and they're going through a difficult time. I say, can I read your, your favorite uh, passage? And they say to me, I don't know if they say it because you know, they're expected to say it. They say, they're all my favorite. I don't believe them, but <laughs> I pick one of my favorites then. So if you don't have a favorite, you're lucky this morning because I'll give you a couple that you can write down as you leave here this morning. Uh, nothing original, by the way, about the two verses I'm going to give you. I borrowed them. Uh, from the writer to the Hebrews. 13th chapter, verse 5. 
This is what he says. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He took Joshua chapter 1, and he took Psalm 118, and he put them together. God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Joshua 1. So we can confidently say, Psalm 118, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what command do to me. The one verse leads to another. You can do that with all sorts of scripture verses. You can just weave them together. The Lord's promise to never leave you enables you to say with confidence in the desert, in the distress, in the dark night of your soul, the Lord is my helper. Yes, the Lord is my helper. So that even in the darkest of places, we can open our treasure and we can find the wealth that is Jesus and we can even hear him calling to us to sing. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my Father's God. And I will praise you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can open the wealth of Scripture and spend a few moments mining treasures from the 118th Psalm. Uh, We thank you that we can meet above all Jesus in this psalm. We do thank you for that Old Testament saint and his story because we recognize in it our own story. But above all, we thank you for Jesus and his story because it is that one story above all others that leads us to say, even in the desert, that your steadfast love endures forever. And so, Father, we confess this day that you are good, and we are glad that this is the day that you have made, and may we continue to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.